Over the last few months, we've been studying songs of Scripture that shape our faith. And today, particularly with these new officers, these new elders and deacons among us, I want to turn to this passage that we're about to read. Because I want to think about an important quality of music, and that quality is the quality of tone. The tone is the feel or the mood of a piece, whether it's happy or sad or celebratory or mournful. You know, very often we choose the music we listen to or we pull up a particular type of song on our playlist to express what we can't express in our own words and perhaps to, perhaps to express what words alone cannot express. Now, this may surprise you, but when I was a teenager... When I was a young adult, my music was heavy metal. I mean it, hard rock. I mean hair metal, heavy metal, British metal, anything you can imagine. Screaming guitars that sounded like, like, like nails on a chalkboard, the drums that sounded like an engine revving, the bass that you could feel in your chest. That was me. You see, and the reason I loved heavy metal is because I was raised in a very prim and proper Southern family. I don't mean to say that they were oppressive or anything like that. I don't mean to say that they weren't encouraging or wonderful, but manners and courtesy and tone had a very, very high premium in our house. And one thing you didn't do is you didn't get loud. Even if you were arguing, you didn't get loud. And so even though my family was not oppressive or stifling, we were, they were actually wonderfully affectionate and encouraging even then, even with all that, as a teenager, they're just sometimes when you're tired of being overlooked, when you're tired of being unheard, and when you just feel like you got to get loud about something. Is anybody else with me? Teenagers now, y'all are not the ones who invented this kind of mental illness or anxiety. We had it going a long time ago. Is there anybody else who's ever felt like that? Well, heavy metal, hard rock and roll, that was the ticket for me, for a preppy kid like me to express anger and zeal and angst and defiance. You know, rock and roll is not just a chord progression. Rock and roll is an attitude. It's a tone. And one of my favorite movies is a movie called School of Rock with Jack Black. Has anybody ever seen that? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the, the sanitized Broadway show version when they tried to mainstream it. I'm talking about the real raw movie. It's about a desperate rock and roll musician, a guy named Dewey Finn, who's, who's a little bit of a washout, a little bit washed up, and he's got more confidence than real talent, but he believes that he's destined for stardom and that his destiny, his goal in the universe is to play one great rock show which he believed will change the world. But instead of going that direction, he ends up teaching music in an exclusive preppy middle school. And along the way, he discovers these kids who are talented and brilliant, but they aren't happy. Some are already living under the enormous pressure of grades and the expectations of their parents, and some are just ready to explode. They don't know what to do. They're lonely and they feel like nobody notices them or cares about them. And so Dewey teaches them about rock and roll and he asks them, what is rock and roll about? And their first answers are what they've always heard from, from their parents or friends or TV. They say, well, it's all about money or it's all about, about love or it's all about, about you know, drugs and that sort of thing. 
Dewey says to him, no, 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 that's not what rock and roll is about. Rock and roll is about sticking it to the man. He never defines what, who the man is, but it's about sticking it to the man. It's about rebellion and freedom and getting loud enough to be heard. Rock and roll is about not being satisfied. It's about being restless. It's about being rebellious and not putting up with the status quo. And you know what? From middle school to college, you know, sometimes even now, I feel like I need that. And I haven't figured out who the man is, but I know that he should be treated with contempt, whoever it is. Now, don't get me wrong. I still like rock and roll and even some heavy metal. But the problem is that so much of rock and roll is not just about being seen and heard. So much of the tone is just, well, it's just angry. It's just lustful. It's just, it's just angsty and restless. Most of all, a lot of hard rock is just cynical. You know, one of the greatest all-time rock and roll anthems is one of the darkest. One morning or afternoon, Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards woke up after a concert and a night of drug-induced binging with his guitar lying next to him on one side and a, and a tape recorder on the other. And he, when he woke up, he didn't know what was on the tape recorder, so he pushed play. And what came out of that tape recorder were the first riffs, the first hook of a song that would become, sadly, a rock anthem. The words he heard himself singing and the riff he heard became, I can't get no satisfaction. What a tragedy that this man who influenced millions had no peace in his own soul. I can't get no satisfaction. Psalm 100 gives us a completely different Tone. Psalm 100 is a, a song about how we serve the Lord, about how our heart and our mindset and our posture before him matters as we serve, as we bring others to him, as we, as we do the things that he's called us to do. Turn in your bulletin to Psalm 100. It says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we come together today to hear your word, we ask that you would speak to us your eternal word amidst the changing words of our generation. And Lord, that you would, that you would speak to us for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your son, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. It's a short psalm, and unfortunately, I haven't got time to go into as much depth about this as I would like to. But there are, this psalm is characterized in this way. There are, there are really four commands, depending on how you parse them, four commands in this psalm. Two that tell us what God is expecting us to do, and then two 
about how we get there. The first two, make a joyful noise. The second, serve the Lord with gladness. Make a joyful noise of the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. What does it mean to make a joyful noise? I mean, the, the psalmist many, many times expresses that we are to make melody to the Lord. We are to sing to the Lord. We are to praise the Lord. But this time he says make noise. Why is that different? It's because making noise is not just about producing a melody or carrying, carrying a tune. It's about getting attention. And the way an alarm clock makes noise or in the way that a horn makes noise. It's about getting someone's attention. And we are called to get the world's attention. New elders, new deacons, all followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to get the attention of our world. But in what way? In a loud, obnoxious, angsty, judgmental way? No. In a joyful way. We are called to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And then it says also, serve the Lord with gladness. Beloved, beloved I've got to tell you, for, for years, I have wrestled with this verse. Why? Well, there's never been a time in my life when I didn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God is real, that Jesus died for my sins, that he was raised from the dead. Never been a time when I didn't believe that. But there have been lots of times when I've not followed in his footsteps. There are lots of times when I've not followed him as his disciple. And even within those times when I was serving him, when I was following him, there have been lots of times when I wasn't serving him with gladness. There been lots of times when the noise I was making was maybe a noise of obligation, maybe a noise of fear, maybe a, a noise of ambition or guilt, or duty, or, or something like that. But it was not a noise of gladness. It was not a song of praise. It was not a song of thanksgiving. It was something I was supposed to do. New elders, new deacons, you're going to be called to serve, not only in this congregation, but in this city. And what I want to ask you is, what are people going to hear from you? What kind of noise are you going to make? A joyful noise or a grumpy noise? When they see you serving, are they going to see you serving with gladness or resentment? Because this is something I'm supposed to do, it's something I've got to do, and if I don't do it, then I'm going to get in trouble, or something bad's going to happen, or, or, or maybe God won't be pleased with me. So those are the first two commands. God wants us to serve, excuse me, he wants us to make a joyful noise and he wants us to serve with gladness. But we know sometimes that's hard. We know that sometimes we don't want to serve that way. I mean, have you ever done somebody, something nice for somebody, not because you wanted to, but because you, like, you felt like you had to? Am I the only one like that? No, sometimes we serve for ulterior motives. And, in, and we end up serving out of duty or obligation or resentment or because it will attract attention or maybe we'll gain favor or something like that. That's not the kind of service that the Lord wants. That's not what he wants to hear from his people. What he wants to hear is gladness. What he wants to hear is joy. So how do we get there? How do we get there? 
two other commands in this, in this passage. Verse 3 says, we're going to get there, by knowing that He is God. Knowing that the Lord, He is God. Verse 3. Now what does this mean? It means that your first step to serving the Lord, serving with gladness, to making a joyful noise, is remembering that He is God and we are not. That He is God and I am not. Now, I'm not just saying that in a sense of putting myself in an exalted position. I'm, I'm really talking about the issue of control here. Because when we let go of this proposition, if we let go of this knowledge, we begin to think that we are in control. We begin to think not that it all depends on God, but rather that it all depends on us. You know, I've heard so often that old expression, pray, excuse me, Work like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God. What happens? Very often we split that and we just work and pray like it all depends on us. And when we do that, when we disconnect from the sovereignty of God, from the real control, from the identity and authority of God, and we start thinking that we're the ones who have to make everything happen, that we're the ones who have to make everything turn out, then we begin to put ourselves in the place that God should rightly occupy. And rather than trust Him, we just look for His afterthoughts of endorsement. As a real leader in the church, as a real follower of Jesus Christ, we have to start in this knowledge that we are not claimed or judged but based on a checklist of what we have done or left undone, but rather that we are brought into the family of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Here's what I mean to say about this. It is much more likely that we will serve the Lord with gladness when we give up the checklist and the belief that this depends on us more than it depends on Him. When we start to believe that we are the ones responsible for all the outcomes. I'm not saying that God is telling us that we can just waive all responsibility. What I'm telling us is that God wants us to remember that we are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. He is God, and there are certain God-given limitations upon us. Again, not to waive responsibility, but to put our focus in the right place, to put our focus on Him. When we start realizing that it is not all about me, it's not all dependent on us, when it is mostly and really all dependent on Him, then we will begin to take the peace that's required to really serve Him. With gladness. That's when we begin to serve, not out of obligation and resentment, but out of true gratitude and thanksgiving. There's an interesting posture presented by the great American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. He described it in a prayer that he wrote. It's, it's a famous prayer called the Serenity Prayer. I know all of you have heard this. The first part's familiar to many of you. It's a classic. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Everybody knows that part. That's on a million throw pillows all over this country. But are you familiar with the second part? Second part says this, all that, Lord, help me living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as, a pathway, as the pathway to peace, taking, as Christ did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, and trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Real serenity is anchored in the sovereignty of God. It's not anchored in what we do for him, but rather what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus sent his disciples out on a training mission. He sent them out to heal. He sent them out to exercise demons. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. And boy, was it successful. They came back and they said, Lord, you're not going to believe what happened. The demons left. People were healed. People heard about the kingdom. It was awesome. Jesus said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Picking up on this theme, in one of his last emails, Reverend Tim Keller wrote to his good friend, John Piper, this. He said, as I read those words of Jesus from Luke chapter 10, to rejoice not in the works, but to rejoice that my name is written in heaven. I remember that we're not supposed to rejoice in the service we conduct, but in the salvation that we have received. We can serve with gladness when we remember that our Lord has saved us. So we serve with gladness. But we also, it says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. If we want to make a joyful noise and we want to serve with gladness, we need to know that he is God. And we need to enter into his presence. Beloved elders, deacons, pastors, covenant partners, seekers, how often do we try to do a lot for God and forget how much he desperately wants us to be with him? Eugene Peterson once said that the soul of prayer is the presence, is being in the presence of God. When we are in the presence of God, anything we say becomes prayer. When we're outside of the presence of God, all of our fine words are just chatter, just the other kind of noise. Beloved, isn't it a, wouldn't it be a terrible thing to work all day outside of the concert hall selling tickets and never go in and see the band? To not be in the presence of the one who called you 
I want you to remember that one of God's Ten Commandments, one of two positive ten commandments where he told us to do something, is this. To remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. To remember to spend time to be with him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Don't stay outside working for him before you've been inside to be with him. The work of elder, the work of deacon, the work of parent, the work of friend, the work of husband, the work of wife is too hard to do on our own. It is too hard to control. It is too hard to do outside of the presence of the loving God who called us into these relationships and roles. We cannot love this city, love one another, until we realize that we are loved by him. We cannot call others into his presence if we are never in his presence ourselves. It's so easy to be distracted from his presence. We pray to God, God, be with us. God's here. The problem was we're distracted from him. What else are you thinking about right now? Seriously, what are you thinking about right now as I say this? Or what were you thinking about before I asked the question? Don't think of it as a distraction. You're in the presence of God. Whatever that thing is, you need to pray about it. Not pray that God would forgive you for your distraction, but pray that whatever that is that's just busting into your head right now, that's a distraction. So turn it over to him because you're in his presence. And allow yourself to be in his presence. The worst thing is when you go out to dinner with somebody and all they can do is look at their phone or watch the TV up over the bar or just scan the room to see who else is in the restaurant. To be in the presence of God doesn't mean just to be doing churchy things and religious activities. It means to be aware Attentive, and frankly, just enamored of him. Elders, deacons, you all learned skills. You learned about the church. You learned our history. You learned about our organization, all kinds of things like that. But none of that matters if we are not spending time in God's presence, in his silence, in his word, in his worship. If we are not anchored and grounded in faith, we will never serve the Lord with gladness. And the noise we make, well, it might be loud, but it's not going to be joyful. And so, whether you are a new officer, a covenant partner, or a friend, Visitor, seeker, I want you to just take a moment to just ask God to take away the distractions so that you can be fully in his presence. Not because you have to be, but because he's inviting you to be. Remember, it's not just about the things you do as his servant. It's about the tone. 
What kind of noise are you making? How's your heart? Are you serving with gladness? Are you ready to serve Him? Most importantly, do you know, as the psalm says, that He is God? That you are His people? You are the sheep of His pasture? You know that He loves you, that He is faithful, and that His steadfast love endures forever? We're serving Him with any other heart, then we're missing the best of what He has to offer. So now as we come to His table, I want to invite you once again to open your eyes, open your heart, open your ears to be in the presence of God because He is here. He's promised that. Can we be attentive to Him so that we're not disrupted by the distractions? Beloved, the Lord gives us this sacrament, this sign, this table as a tangible, visible reminder of His spiritual and real presence. The Lord is here. And He is calling us to awaken to His way, to His truth, and the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. He invites all those who trust Him as Savior and Lord and who have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to come and be at this table. This table, this bread, this cup is a reminder that by the Holy Spirit we are in the presence of God. Jesus is now the bodily Bodily is in the right hand of God our Father, but we, by His Holy Spirit, are in His presence. And He's calling us to remember that He has given His body, as real as this bread, His blood, as real as this cup, for you. That His presence is real and that His love for you is real. Because He wants you to remember this and He wants you to make a joyful noise, and to serve the Lord with gladness. And so, as we make a joyful noise, we remember that this is the joyful feast of the people of God, and that they will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom. We come to this table because he has bid us to serve him with gladness. So that means that we come not because we must, but because we may, not to check a box or to fill out a checklist but to remember that he has done all necessary for our salvation and to give thanks, to enter his presence with thanksgiving. And so we come to this table as an act of worship, as an act of gratitude, and to receive.